You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All righty, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Hopefully, everybody's having a great week. Um... My grandpa, when he was still alive, he, he always used to tell me two things. One, every day above ground is a good day. And two, never fight a guy wearing cowboy boots. So I understand the first one. I don't necessarily understand the second one. But uh, because of my grandpa, I always wore like I shouldn't say always, but I there was a lot of times where I would wear cowboy boots, so no one would screw with me knowing that it was going to be a total bluff, right? But <laughs> that's beside the point. As always, I always go into a little tangent, and I apologize for that. But we have another kick-ass podcast today. We're going to be doing a hunter profile today with a gentleman named Ethan from West Virginia, and he's going to talk to us about the transition from hunting in high school to finding time to hunt during college and the trips he has to make back home and, and looking for public uh, hunting ground closer to uh, uh, where he goes to school in uh, West Virginia. And uh, we're going to talk all about that. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool story. Uh, Hopefully you guys enjoy it. And before we get to today's podcast, I want to announce uh, a new partner with the Nine Finger Chronicles, and, and just kind of a backstory. I don't, man. It was a long time ago. Uh, I I used to shoot fixed blade broadheads for so many years, right? And I couldn't even tell you what brand they were. They were, I think I got them at garage sales. To be honest with you, I found them in old uh, little archery kits that they were selling at garage sales, or um, my my mom got from somebody. I don't know who. But when I decided, when I had my own money and started to buy my own broadheads, I went to a mechanical broadhead. And the very first mechanical broadhead that I ever purchased was the Jackhammer from Wasp. And um, I killed a lot of deer with that particular broadhead. Now, not sure why, just because I guess that's kind of thing how things go. I decided to try other broadheads, um, and 
expand, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I didn't really have a reason for, um, leaving those mechanicals because they did exactly what they were designed to do. They killed shit. And, um, I was very happy with them, you know? Okay. So then I, I go, I go around and now I've come back full circle and decided, you know, that Wasp is not, not only makes great products, but they're a a great company, right? They're made in the USA. They have some pretty unique features to their broadheads that no other um, company or no other broadhead has. And so there's that. So when I contacted them, we had a, a good conversation. Um, they liked what I was doing. I liked what they were doing. Uh, and we shook, we had the proverbial handshake and uh, Wasp is now a partner of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And I am excited to, uh, you know, get back um, with their heads on the tips of my arrows. Um, not trying to make this sound like, a, you know, some dude who sold out repping a product, but they are a kick-ass broadhead. Um, I've used both fixed and mechanicals over the years. And, uh, you know, let's before we get into the podcast, um, like I always do, I, I record some commercials and, uh, Fred Doherty is one of the guys who works there at wasp. And I asked him why are wasp broadheads so tough? The hardcore bow hunters should consider wasp broadheads because we have a long history of producing some of the finest and toughest broadheads in the industry. All our heads have the same signature trocar tip, which is solid stainless steel, which no one else in the industry does. We harden it, then we grind it to its trocar shape. The tips are pressed into place onto solid material, solid aluminum or steel ferrules. We, we never have put any pins or screws or you know, tiny little uh, uh, nicks or marks in the broadhead that uh, causes weak spots. And all of our broadheads are 100% made in the USA. All right. With all that said, be sure to visit wasparchery.com. Check out their lineup of fixed and mechanical broadheads, uh, and they have some accessories as well. But uh, be sure to check that out. And when you guys decide to purchase, here's the big one, right? Enter the code nine fingers and you will receive 20% off of your purchase. So that's a big, that's a pretty good discount guys. Take advantage of it. Nine fingers at checkout and you will receive $20 off your purchase. So I would definitely be taking advantage of that. Guys, it's podcast time. The BS is over. Uh, Let's get into today's Hunter Profile podcast with Ethan from West Virginia. I am on the phone now with Mr. Ethan Eskew. How you doing today, man? Pretty good. How about yourself? Can't complain. Can't complain. Uh, except that we're recording this on a Sunday night, which really means that uh, I got to go to work tomorrow and sit in a cubicle, yeah. which is a kind of a downer, but it is what it is, right? Yeah, you can't, can't get away from that. So typically I say, okay, where do you live? What do you do for a living? Um, but you're a, currently a college student, right? So that's correct. So where do you live and what's your major? I'll, I'll ask right, that. So I live, okay. I live in West Virginia. I've been born and raised for my entire life. I'm currently going to school at West Virginia university. That's located in Morgantown, West Virginia, which is in the Northern central part of the state. 
and my major is mechanical engineering. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, what year are you? Uh, I'm a sophomore, so I've been here two years. All right. So another two years on top of this one. All right. Yep. Okay. So the reason that we're going to talk today a little bit is, and I may have had one other guy on who's currently in college, but never really focused on somebody who is in college, you know, cause hunting in, and that was the kind of thing that I, I put hunting to the side when I went to school. So I feel, um, you know, there's there and not necessarily because I didn't, I don't know. Back then, I really, I guess I wasn't into the hunting thing as much as um, I am now. I had other things on my brain, like, you know, partying and chasing women. But <laughs> um, but talk to, I guess, first off, I want to start with a story. And I said I was going to do this before. Your, your football coach for West Virginia is Dana Holgerson, right? That is correct. Okay. So when I was in sixth grade, Dana Holgerson uh, attended the uh, Iowa Wesleyan University in my hometown of Mount Pleasant, Iowa. Okay, so they had okay. a prog- they had a program where the the Iowa Wesleyan football team uh, would come and hang out with the middle schoolers or the or the elementary kids during recess and you know play football with them. And I can remember catching a pass for a touchdown from Dana Holgerson when he, uh, when he was there. So, uh, I guess that makes me really cool. Yep. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So enough of that. Let's get into what we want to talk about today. And that is you know, kind of fitting college and hunting you know, making that work together. But before we talk about mm-hmm. the college, I want to talk about, you know, high school, right? Um, okay. Did you hunt a lot when you were in high school? A lot, yes. A lot, okay. All right, so archery or all weapons? Um, I started when I was younger in middle school hunting with a rifle with my grandfather, but as middle school progressed and especially once I got into high school, I barely hunted uh, with any firearms, um, almost strictly archery hunting. Okay. All right. So now you're, you're a bow hunter by nature now. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and so you decided, Hey, I'm going to go to West Virginia. Um, did, did hunting play a role in the decision to go what college to go to? Cause I'm sure there was probably, um, I mean, how far away from where you grew up is the college? So I grew up in the very Northern part of the state in Wheeling, West Virginia, and that's okay. only about an hour away. Oh, okay. So I can get home. I can get home pretty readily to hunt on the weekends. Um, but attending West Virginia wasn't solely based around hunting. Uh, it was mostly based around just the fact that it's a really good engineering school, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. Plus, yeah. it was in-state, so the tuition costs were a lot lower. So it just yeah, yeah. kind of made sense for me to go here. Gotcha. I, I actually know a guy who's uh, from Michigan, and he wanted to be a chiropractor so he could go to like, – um, in eastern Iowa, there's a really good chiropractic school, uh, Palmer Chiropractic, uh, and mm-hmm. – they people come from all over the country to you know go to school there to become a chiropractor and this guy goes comes to 
Iowa just so he can become a chiropractor, just so he can hunt in Iowa. So, but so you made the decision. It was only based off the engineering program, but you're lucky you're only an hour away. So, um, you know, was there any less hunting when you were in high school and, you know, transitioning from probably being able to go almost even every night to going, uh, I, I don't know, were you in any sports in high school? Yes. So all through high school, I played soccer, which is a fall sport where I'm from. So that really limited my early season hunting, which really was not the ideal situation. There's a lot of times I wish I could have been in the woods, but right. soccer season always ended late no, late October into early November, depending, depending on how far we got in the state tournament. So that I got out right as the rut was kicking in every year, which was really nice. Okay, good. Almost kind of probably helped you stay out of the timber until it was really good, not to like ruin any spots, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was good that I didn't have too much temptation to go, but there was sometimes when you know high pressure would move in, there would be a cold front in early October, and I had a killer food source, and I knew it would be a good day, a great day to hunt. Yeah. But I had practice, so right. those right. those are the days that I missed the opportunities. Right. All right. So when when soccer was over, then I take it it was balls to the wall hunting. Yes. Okay. Like I said, when that ended, it was usually late October into early November, and at that point, I hunted almost every day. I mean, okay. after school, I would run out because I had different properties I hunted. And some of them were extremely easy access, and I could hop into different stands real quick. Um, I've, I've killed multiple deer right after school through November over the, the years of high school. And all throughout the week, almost every day, depending on the wind, I would go out and hunt after school till dark. And then on the weekends, Saturday and Sunday, it would be all-day sits no matter what. Yeah. Okay. So... Was when you transitioned to to college? Uh, did you pl- uh, play any sports in college? No. Okay. So you moved to college. You're an hour away from your your main hunting property. Uh, did you when you first got to that town? Did you go and look for any public hunting ground or uh, make any attempts to you know maybe get access to some private land in that area? Yes, right away. Uh, but my freshman year here, I lived in a dorm, and I couldn't have a car here. So that did really limit what I could do. But luckily, I have a girlfriend here, and she's a year above me, and she did have a car here. So, you know, I, some sweet talking. I could get her to take me out to the public. <laughs> I could get her to take me out to the public land for a, a nice scenic walk, you know, um, a.k.a. scouting missions. Uh, but so freshman year, I did do some scouting here on public land and I had some decent setups planned, but this year I really hit it a lot harder. Um, there's some public land around here. Not a, I mean, there's different pieces of public land and some private that I could get on. Um, but I've hunted it a little, not a ton because like I said, I know these properties so well, just an hour away. It's really not that hard to get to, especially on the weekends. If I can go home and hunt the properties that I've been hunting, I know really well. Plus, in my opinion, the the properties I hunt back home just have better deer quality. 
and gotcha. it's private versus public. Although there's here at school, it's a lot more mountainous terrain. Okay. There's something really cool about being way back in on in the mountains on public land, trying to kill a mature deer. That's that's really cool. So, I you know your freshman year, you come into college, uh, you're like, wait, uh, I can't go. You know, you can't go home. I mean, you can go home every weekend, but you can't make like a, an hour drive every day. I, I feel that that would just be crazy. I mean, I'm sure people do it, yeah. but you know, when, mm-hmm. when the hunting season actually came around your first year, were, were you taking time off of school? Were you, um, like skipping classes and stuff or did you stay in school and just become a weekend warrior? I had to become a weekend warrior as much as I hated it. Yeah. Um, the the way that my program is set up, if I I really just can't miss school without it drastically hurting me. So at that point, um, last year I really had to become a weekend warrior because I couldn't hunt here at all, and I had to rely on going home on the weekends, and that was rough. Uh, I did get it done, but it was it was hard. Um, but this year, I got I have a house here in town now, so and my car here so I can I can hunt here when I need to or when I want to and I have the time so this past year as a sophomore I could squeak in some evening hunts here and there uh, only on like really good days though and I had to shift or I had to sacrifice time doing other stuff and I had to really cram you know because if I'm going to hunt Friday evening Saturday and Sunday on the weekends given if I'm going to squeeze in another evening hunt throughout the work week or school week I guess um then I really had to cram my work into certain days and that took away from a lot of it was a sacrifice but it was I mean I wouldn't do it any other way right right so is it is it difficult because I know when you know it starts to get late October you know the rut you're sitting at work I'm lucky I get to take vacation days right so I get to take my two weeks off go chase some bucks or some deer, you don't have vacation time. How hard is it to concentrate knowing that there's deer running around crazy chasing does on some of the properties and you're stuck in a classroom? Very, very difficult. <laughs> uh, that That's a really good point you brought up is that I can't take a vacation time. And on a little side note here, that also eliminates the chances of any uh, trips or western hunting during the yeah. fall, which really, really upsets me. But uh, I got to do what I got to do. So, but like you said, during peak rut, I'm sitting in class and I'm paying attention. But there's no doubt that part of my mind's thinking about what's going on in the what's going on in the woods. Right, right. So when you decide, you know, you're making you're making the sacrifice really to. You know, you're, you're doing the smart thing, obviously, and you're you're not skipping classes. You're getting your education. Um, how much does that change your strategy when you go home? Or I mean, are you running trail cameras? Are you running um, like, are you sitting only specific stands? Or because you know, if I was limited to only weekends, that's like that's maybe two. That's four total days, right? Um, um, Saturday and a Sunday. Maybe depending on what time you get out of class, you get a Friday Friday hunt in, and that's basically four four days you're catching the rut, right? The either the yep. very beginning of it and probably the tail end of it 
if you know if the prime time is in the middle of the week um how does how do you how do you do that how do you hunt that way if you're only you know hunting weekends so i'm very particular about the stands i hunt and i'll kind of go into detail about the past two years because i've been successful both years doing this um so for my freshman year if you well, if you actually go to my senior year of high school in March, I started. I got permission on this new property back home, and a buddy's family actually owns it. They're nice enough to let me hunt it. He hunts as well, and I. It was late. It was postseason. I went in, scoured the property, looked at topographical maps, just shed hunted it, scouted it. Laid. I don't even know how many miles down on this property. It's about a three hundred acre farm. Um, and I found one spot that I just knew was going to be dynamite. And okay. the way the way this spot sets up is, like I said, in West Virginia here, it's mountainous or hilly. And when it's hilly, it's still mountainous to flatlanders. Um, yeah. But so we've got so the, the way this spot sets up is there's there's this ridge that runs this this long ridge that runs down, and there's two kind of peaks on this ridge, and there's a saddle between these peaks. Well, this saddle is right in the middle of a huge brushy area. I mean, this whole this whole farm is actually really thick, but this whole brushy area I'm talking about is I don't. It's probably 80 acres of just pure thick, nasty stuff. Right. And this saddle sits right in the middle of it, so it's tricky access. I knew that going into it. it's tricky access. There's only one certain wind condition that I can hunt it on, but I knew that deer were going to be crossing that saddle during the rut. And okay. I told my I told my buddies that I went in and I hung my stand in June. So this is the summer between senior year and freshman year of high school. Or I mean freshman year of college. So I hung the stand in June and I told them I'm not going to go back in there until the first weekend of November if the wind's permitting. And that's exactly what I did. I went in. It was November 7th. 2015 I remember it and I went in I hunted all day I saw I forget how many bucks I saw but I saw a lot and at 4.30 so about an hour hour and 15 minutes before dark uh, a really nice deer for the area came in and long story short some things happened that really weren't expected the deer came in at an odd angle that was not expected at all I had to twist around the tree. By that time, he had gotten past me, and I shot, but it hit a limb and deflected, and I barely caught him in the. I barely caught him in the back, and um, he ran off, stopped, and then he just walked off. And I was shaking like a leaf because it would have been my biggest buck. My plan had worked. I mean, to a T, absolutely perfectly. And I backed out and came back the next day uh, with one of my buddies, and we tracked the deer for probably four or five hundred yards of a blood trail, and then it tripled out. And I grid searched for the rest of the day and didn't leave the property until dark. And then I had to go back to school that night. Yeah. Um, but I was pretty confident that, I mean, it from where I gridded. It, if he had died, it was probably off the property. Okay. Um, so, and at that point, 
I really what I I didn't go back that week just because I thought there was a really good chance he survived. Um, so I I went to school that week and I was really torn up. I mean, yeah, a lot of people that know me personally know how seriously I take it. And with all the work and thought process I put into it in general, but especially this set, I mean, that really tore me up that I had basically just wasted that opportunity. And it took the words of some pretty good friends to get me to even want to go back into the woods. And uh, it was the, the very next week, exactly one week after the next Saturday, I had perfect conditions again. So now it was November 14th, 2015. I went back in to that same stand just hoping for redemption, um, even though I knew I had my shot for the year and I had wasted it. But 15 minutes after first light, um, I saw a pretty good buck, and he fed all, He was chasing does. And then within a half hour of first light, I heard something coming from behind me, and here came a nice buck, and he came in and offered me an absolutely perfect shot at 10 yards, and I took him. And like that was the buck I took in 2015. And the deer that I originally hit on November 7th did live. It, I just barely hit him in the back. Uh, it wasn't a fatal wound, and someone else ended up killing that deer on the same property during rifle season, chasing does and uh, acting completely healthy. So that put a bit, that put a lot of ease to my mind that that deer survived. Good, good. So you're pretty particular about the stands um so what happens if you know it's a weekend right and all of a sudden it's 70 degrees uh during the rut are are you sitting off that weekend or are you just you're going in regardless what of what about uh bad winds on let's say you have a for me a lot of my stands are set for northwest winds just because traditionally north north northwest winds are happening or west winds or southwest winds are happening during that time and um that's where my stand you know my some of my stands are set now i do do a lot of running guns uh running gun setups but you know for only hunting on the weekends during the hunting season um are you ever laying off or are you extra aggressive because of the time constraints? Once that late October point hits, I get really aggressive. And right. another factor is late October, the last weekend in October, um, friends and family of mine, we all take a big small game hunting trip every year. It's a tradition and it, I wouldn't miss the trip for anything. So that takes out the late October weekend. Okay. So now I even even have less weekends. And as you said, two weekends is, you know, four days, maybe five counting Friday evenings for sure that I can hunt during the rut. So I've got five days spread out during, you know, peak rut in November. I have to be aggressive. I have to move in. And the way I deal with that is I won't go in somewhere that has the plain wrong wind. The only reason I won't do that is because I have a spot that does have the right wind. Right. Um, I'm I'm really particular about having different setups for different winds, and if I see in the weather forecast that for some reason something is happening that I don't have an ideal setup for, well then I do what you do and I'll run and gun. Right. I have a climber and I have a run and gun setup, and I look at topo maps, satellite images, 
you know, how compared to things I've seen on whatever properties here before. And I'll try to formulate the very best plan I can. And like I said, during that time of year, I'm going to go, I'm going to go all out and try to get it done because I just don't have that much time to hunt. And if I go in on a property and new setup, especially like that and blow it out, then I've got other places to go. I have to be aggressive to try to get it done in such a short amount of time. Right. All right. So with that said, are you, I guess, do you have any specific goals? Do you have a hit list put together? Um, like that on a, on Friday, when you get back into town, are you checking trail cameras before you, before you head out? Or are you just going into the timber and the first mature buck that walks by or, are you a brown and down? If it's brown, it's down. You hunting for meat? What's your story there? So I do not run very many trail cameras, and the reason I have before, and I actually intend to run a lot more this year, because I think it did somewhat uh, hold me back in knowing what's we're in some new areas that I hunted this past season. Yeah. Um, but what I have been doing is I have not been checking trail cameras like on a Friday evening, like you said, uh, because like I said, especially once that late October and November rolls around, I mean, I'm just a freak about, I need to maximize every minute I can yeah. be in that tree. Right. I mean, every single minute, because it's just my belief that with such short amount of time, I really have to take advantage of the time I do have and a half hour here and there could really i mean it could make the difference it might not but you never know right. so i'm just a kind of a freak about that um but as far as having a hit list uh i i shoot a lot of does for meat um i'm not a brownest down kind of guy when it comes to hunting bucks uh but i do hunt here in west virginia though so i'm not waiting for that four or five year old 140 150 that you know a lot of people will want to take in the midwest it's just extremely unrealistic here and i have to set my goals based on where i hunt and that changes even from property to property uh locally here that i really have i try to stay in a very realistic mindset now that said i do try to target the very top class of bucks in that area so i'm basically trying i'm trying to kill a three-year-old uh, here is my main goal. Um, and if you really want to get technical into numbers, it's probably around 120 or bigger as a very baseline. Now, some properties I will pass it a three year old 120. Um, some properties I won't. It's like I said, it's, it's based on where I'm at in a tree at that given time with a realistic mindset because I don't have one main main property i hunt a lot of different properties and they're all different in different aspects so that's what i really base what i'm trying to kill off of right all right so let's let's just kind of throw it out there um when you go in to you know it's it's the four days right you got two days to hunt you go back and you got two more days to hunt and then the rut's pretty much over all right you go back to school then you got two more days the rut's over so let's talk a little bit about that time that you spent you know you got to maximize every minute uh, to try to put yourself in the best possible position now night one or, or day one or sit one are you are you doing all day sits or if the morning sucks are you going that night to another piece 
another state? Um, so I've always I've hunted every Friday evening when I go home on almost every Friday evening. I purposely schedule my classes in the fall to where I can hunt that Friday evening. Gotcha. I, I'll I'll try to pack classes in throughout the week so I have that Friday evening blocked in. Okay. Um, at least most of the time. So that is obviously just an evening sit. But as far as Saturday and Sunday go, I'm a really big believer in all-day sits. Um, in fact, I just converted one of my friends this year. He killed the biggest buck of his life at 1 o'clock in on a hot, sunny day <laughs> because he sat all day for one of the first times, and that's what happened. Right. So, and, uh, so I'm a really big believer of that, um, but... If I do, if I hunt a stand in the morning, if I see no action, typically, like it's really situational. I want to, I want to say I'll lean towards staying, just because I don't go to a place unless I really, really believe in it. You right. know what I mean? Right. And situationally, if I believe there's another place that could be better in the evening, then I might make that move. I'm not closing that off, but like I said, when I go into a place, I'm pretty sure that it's going to be a, that's my very best place to go at that time for however many, who knows how many reasons. So I'm like, I, when I go into a spot, I'm really confident in it. And that's why I'll usually stay there. Okay. So I'm throwing out a hypothetical then. Um, okay. You know, there are times in the breeding season where, one hot doe can can ruin an area if she if she pulls bucks away from that right into a completely different area. Um, yep. With someone like in your, in your situation, this is just me. If a morning was completely dead, right? And I don't know. Have you ever had a scenario like this where the morning was dead, and then you said, "Well, I'm going to sit all day to see what happens." Was that evening dead as well? Uh, so there was one day I remember in high school, uh, I was a sophomore in high school. It was November 12th. Um, so I forget what year that would be. That would be 2011, maybe if I'm mistaken, but it was November 12th and I had sat all morning, all afternoon, hadn't seen a single deer, but I knew it was in a really good spot. It was a pinch point along, along this hill pinched by, uh, kind of a housing development way up the hill and like I said here I'm hunting on this real long uh, downhill slope but I'm hunting high enough to where it's not swirling too bad like it would in the bottom and there was a pond in the bottom with a high wall above it so it was a great rut pinch point and I've killed a lot of deer there over the years and I sat there all day didn't see a single deer all day and then I saw one doe around 4.30, an hour before dark, and then right at dark, um, a nice buck came in. I killed him right at dark. So I only saw two deer all day, but one of the two was the one that I was after. Gotcha. But uh, since then, there's been, you know, you're seeing deer every every time. I guess what I'm trying to get at is with with someone who only has four days of the of the rut to hunt, if a spot was dead in the morning, for me, unless it was in 
a historically good pinch point, kind of like what you just mentioned, um, I would be moving because nothing, there's no, there's no indication that I should be there. Then the next, the next sit, I would want to be like, well, screw this. I'm going to go somewhere else and, and try to observe another piece of a different property and try to get some more Intel to determine, okay, is this spot better? Or maybe should I go back to the other spot or, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And and I go ahead. I have done that. Um, over the years, there's been times that I have changed and I have seen more activity in the evening spot. It just really doesn't happen that often for me because typically I am seeing pretty good movement in the morning. So I stick it out throughout the day. So that's the biggest reason as to why I'm usually lately in college when I'm not moving during the rut on those weekend sits is because I, I have seen good, good movement almost every morning. So I'll just stick it in that stand all day. Okay. All right. So then, um, historically that, I mean, you have, you've done this, these areas long enough to know that historically, you know, I'm going to run into something in one of these stands. Yeah. And, and even if it's a new property, like I hunted multiple new properties this past season and through scouting and just purely scouting, I, there was some areas that for there, you could just kind of know that it's a good area. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And going into it, it was a little nerve wracking because like you said, with these other properties, I've hunted most of them for a couple of years now. And I know like this is going to be really good no matter what, even if it's not good half the day, it, there's a, there's a really good chance that it'll pick up in the evening. Okay. But when I went to these new properties, exactly what you said, I was more on my heels about altering my setup and moving to a different location. Um, there was one day that I hunted that I didn't see anything in the morning, but I, I just stuck it out there. This was the first time I'd hunted this particular stand on a new property during the rut. And I stuck it out there and I actually saw really, really great movement in the evening. And after reviewing that, I think there was a lot of uh, factors that went into that. And I think I'm going to treat that as more of an evening spot from now on. So that's going to, that's going to be one uh, key to the puzzle when I'm, trying to go on from here is if I have a setup in the morning and I want to move to a setup in the evening, then I'll remember that, how this one stand is better in the evening. It's all really situational depending on the very day. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So then the next question is with, you know, the, how many, how many days did you actually hunt last year and this past year? Your freshman year uh, and then the sophomore year. So, did you did you only hunt four days? No. So freshman year, I hunted less. Um, I, I I know that for a fact right now. I hunted less freshman year because, like I said, I didn't have the car. But this past year, I got to hunt a little more. Uh, I got to hunt a couple times here on school on some public land. Um. If I could pull up my log right now, I could tell you exactly how many days I hunted, but I can't do that right now. I don't have it here. Uh, if I had to guess, maybe around 20 some, around 20, I would say, um, because I, I start as soon as season start, starts, and I hunt does the entire season. So, I mean, I'll, I'll take does throughout the season, 
and then during only during when I really think it's good. And that can that depends on a lot of things. Early season, you know, cold fronts, good food stores. And then once the pre-rut and rut rolls around, I'm really focusing on bucks. But I, I think I hunted, if I remember correctly, this past year I hunted right around 20 times, which isn't as much as I used to hunt in high school. In high school, when I hunted so much after school and into the late season after school for does and even bucks some years, um, I used to hunt, you know, 40 times, so almost double, really. Yeah. Okay. So you're still hunting every weekend, right? Yes. Yes. Right. So you're you're hunting every weekend. Um, have you ever ran into a scenario where you may have patterned a deer and then Monday hits and you're like, "Well, shit, I can't, I can't go after him. I gotta, I gotta hope he's there uh, next Friday night." Yes. This past year, that's exactly what happened on a deer that I really, really thought I was going to be able to get on to, and I think I had him patterned onto a tee. Uh, it's it's harder to pattern deer here in West Virginia just because we have almost no ag in most regions. So the visibility of deer is harder. And what their main food source in a lot of areas is just hard mass, uh, pr- predominantly um, oaks. Right. So the problem with that is in a lot of areas, there's just oak trees absolutely everywhere. And that food source, it's a huge food source. But the tendencies of deer, at least what I've noticed, is they really like to key in on a tree or two or three at a time. Um, and so that it's hard to pattern them on something like that because, I mean, I've, I've literally seen it where they will hit one tree just crazy for three or three days, but then it's just gone. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- three days to a week, usually, I- I've seen what they've done. And this past season, I actually took advantage of that. I scouted a new property in season, and I found this really big red oak in the secluded hillside. And within 30 yards of the oak, there was like 17 rubs. The whole, the dirt, I mean, the leaves were scattered. It was down to the dirt. This oak was raining acorns. I mean, it sounded like it was raining. And I got back in there two days later, and had a really good hunt i saw a lot of deer multiple bucks i actually had a three-year-old come in but um he really he just wasn't what i was looking for on that property and i i like to pass him but that was a really big eye-opener of how when i find really hot i mean extremely hot sign like that you just got to get on it as quickly as you can because it can change so fast right so then so then uh um you weren't able to connect did the next weekend, did you connect with that buck at all, or was he was he gone? No, the the buck I originally uh, are you asking about the buck I originally talked about, or the three year old I had passed? Well, you were the, we were talking about how you decided, you know, it, you know, you had two days to hunt. You thought you had a deer pattern, but you couldn't hunt him the next day because you had to go to school. Um, yeah, so. and then and then the following week. Did you get on that buck? No, I, I, I did not. I, I had this deer patterned to a T more than I ever had before in West Virginia. Yeah. And I really thought I was going to be able to get on him early season. Uh, I did a lot of long-range glassing. Um, he was coming out and doing old hay field. Uh, and it's the only field I've ever had the opportunity to hunt um, in West Virginia here. And I had him patterned to a T. And I was sitting in class. 
and I just knew that he'd be coming out this one day. I just had a gut feeling. It was perfect conditions. And when I went into that next weekend, I mean, I saw I saw a drastically lower amount of deer. And I think what happened was that was right when those oaks started dropping. Gotcha. And they they stopped hitting that field. I mean, this field, when I glassed it, I would see multiple bucks. Uh, this one particular buck every single day that I glassed it. And I would see anywhere from 25 to 35 does in it. I mean, it, they were absolutely destroying this field uh, during my scouting. But once those oaks started dropping back into cover, the number of deer hitting that field drastically uh, decreased. Right. All so, right. in lo- long story short, I never did get to connect with that buck, and I have no idea if he's alive or not, but um, hopefully through some scouting and from, from some glassing and running trail cameras on this particular property, I'll be able to get an idea if he's back or not. Do you feel that if you would have hunted on Monday, you would have got a, you would have had a crack at this, that deer? Potentially. I mean, I can't say for sure. You right. really never right. know with these animals, but, um, I can't, I don't even like to think about it because, uh, I'm pretty sure I actually had an exam that day. So I knew I really couldn't, I mean, really couldn't miss it. So yeah. otherwise I, I probably would have considered it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then, you know, did you tag you tagged out last year and you tagged out this year, right? With the archery buck? Correct. Okay. So then um after you tag out, are you still going back home? Uh when does the when does the I mean, do you hunt rifle season in West Virginia? Um I this this year I did not at all. I, I went out with a couple friends. Um I was filming or just being there. Rifle season to me is kind of more of a camaraderie season really uh I, I don't think i even took a rifle to the uh woods this year for a buck myself i did take one doe very late season with a rifle just because i had a tag and the season was about to end and i wanted a little more meat in the freezer but uh typically i really never gun hunt for deer but what so after actually to your question about going home and hunting after i tag a buck is that is that what you're getting at yeah there? whatever you want to talk about so in West Virginia, we actually have a pretty liberal liberal buck limit. You can kill up to three bucks, uh, which I I don't really personally uh, like that much. Yeah. But you can kill, you can kill for instance two with a bow and one with a gun, or one with a bow and two with a gun, or one bow, one gun, one muzzle loader. It, you'd have, to, I mean, there's different combinations, but total, you cannot kill more than three antlered bucks in West Virginia for a year. Um, and I, I've almost always just killed one, but this, this year was one of those years where, like I said, I, I was playing all my cards really right. And but I, I was really lucky this year with election day falling on a Tuesday. I had that day off school and I didn't have anything important. I only had two classes and nothing important whatsoever. The Monday between Sunday and Tuesday. Gotcha. So I got to take that off. And that gave me four and a half straight days of hunting. Uh-huh. Now, yeah, so that was like, you know, I think I've heard you use the term rutcation before. That was yeah. that was my rutcation for sure. I mean, I was pumped leading into that. And uh, I told my buddies and stuff leading into that, you know, I, I watched the weather like a freak. I mean, 
that determined so much in my hunting. And I, I knew these different locations I had planned out. And I was watching the weather, watching the weather, and I said, I told all my buddies, I said, because I think here Monday and Tuesday was going to be 70 degrees, you know, just doable, but very less than ideal conditions, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, for sure. But Friday and Saturday, Saturday morning, to be exact, were great-looking days. And I told my buddies, I said, if it's going to happen for me, it's going to happen one of these two days. And when I went home, I went into one of my stands Friday, and I actually connected uh, on a nice nine point here. And my plan worked exactly. I mean, I it worked perfectly as I planned. And that was, that was like, really awesome that it happened like that because I just love when a plan comes together. Yeah, no so, doubt. So I tagged that deer, and um, the next morning I got I got him home, got him taken care of, skinned him, you know, everything, caped him out. And the next day I had absolutely perfect conditions for my favorite stand, which is that stand I told you the story about just earlier that I hung and then wounded the deer and then killed the deer. Um, that's, I have a lot of history with that particular stand and I would say it's probably my favorite stand. I had absolutely perfect conditions for that and I hadn't been in it yet. And I said, I'm just going to go hunt it just to, just to kind of see what comes in. I, I really, I mean, I would have, I would have killed one, but I didn't, I just kind of wanted to experience it since it was such perfect conditions. Um, so I went in and that morning I had a really, really nice deer come in. I actually, he came in, I drew back on him, and he was at, uh, I think it's four yards from the base of my tree, uh, slightly quartering away, and I had the pin on him, and it was a, a solid deer for around here. I mean, solid deer. And I just I just couldn't shoot him. I mean, I, I just shot a really nice deer the day before, and I, I just couldn't. I couldn't shoot him and I let, I let down and he, he went off and, uh, that is actually the deer that my buddy killed five hours later at one o'clock. Oh, nice. So, so, and a cool story about that, uh, my buddy, his, his name's actually Cole. He, he's my best friend. We've been hunting together for basically our entire lives. He hadn't killed a buck in seven years. And although he's hunted hard, he hasn't killed a buck in seven years and, I cannot say how happy I was that that deer uh, came by him five hours later, and that I think that's that's just really awesome that that it happened that way for us both. So it ended up both happening. It happened for both of us. Uh, I shot one the evening, and he killed the next. He killed one the next day, and uh, so that was just a great weekend for both of us. For sure, yeah. Those yeah. are those times like that when you can just. Did you guys have them hanging in the same building that night? We actually did not, but okay. uh, because because mine from the the night before was already hanging and I had it caped out and everything, and the gotcha. I put away in the freezer. Uh, but we did get together that night and we had the racks next to each other, and me and him and a couple other buddies and you know his dad and everything. We were all just sitting around. That camaraderie was just really, really something. Awesome. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what it's all about at the end, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, those the memories of killing these deer are great, and but the memories of just 
good people, good friends and family. Those, you, those are the memories that you really can't beat. Right. Well, it sounds like you've, you've figured out how to be successful, uh, you know, being a college student and only being a, a weekend warrior, but that's not really, you also kind of have a love for archery as well. And so talk a little bit about being on the West Virginia um, Archery Club. So West Virginia University has an archery club. It's not, we have an archery team as well. It's, it's a part of the club. It's not recognized as an official D1 sport here at West Virginia, but we do travel and we do compete. And it, depending on the tournament, depends on the team we take. We have to, there's a lot of budget restrictions and things we have to play around with, but we really try to take as many people to these shoots as we can. Uh, we do, we go to a lot of smaller shoots, but we also go to some bigger shoots. Uh, for example, this past weekend, I was in Cincinnati for NFAA Indoor Nationals, which is a national tournament. Um, hundreds of people there shooting. That was a really great experience. And then here coming up in May, we have Outdoor Collegiate Nationals, which is going to be taking part in California. And we're, we're taking people out there. So we travel all over the country shooting. Um, we represent ourselves as individuals, and we represent uh, West Virginia as a school as well. Gotcha. So do you, being on that club, do you have scheduled training times throughout the week, or is it up to you to practice on your own? So we do have practices at least twice a week currently, but we all have range passes to our local range, and we can practice whenever we want. Uh, so anyone can go practice whenever we want, and that's how, I mean, personally I practice more than just the two days a week. I mean, I'll shoot typically about five days a week, pretty average, right. um, and I blank bill a lot too, so just at my house here I'll blank bill just to work on my shot sequence and then go to the range to work on actually shooting at distance and at a face and scoring. Um, but we have two registered practices, but all of us can practice as much as we want. Gotcha. Now, I wanted to ask you this question a while back. Okay, so when the hunting season starts and you're gone every weekend, do you do you, uh, do you still have that girlfriend from freshman year? I do. We've been together almost four years now. We were high school sweethearts. And, okay. Uh, so, okay. Yeah, so, so we're still together, and uh, she – uh, I, I've listened to quite a bit of uh, your podcast on Wired to Hunt, and I, I, I always relate her to how you say your wife, you know, being a saint, <laughs> yeah. just being able to put up, put up with it. Um, so that it, yeah, it's she definitely puts up with it a lot. I mean, there was there's a lot of times that I probably shouldn't go hunting, but she's all right with it, or at least she says she is. But um, yeah, but she's she's pretty great with that and she just knows that when that time rolls around I mean there's really nothing more important to me and that's really what I need to be out there doing and she fully understands that and supports it and I'm really grateful for that yeah now let's get one thing straight my wife is a saint and she does put up with it but I still get an earful every time (laughs) I I decide to go hunting when will you be back what time will you be back how long are you gonna be so so let's not get that you know, let's not uh, get that <laughs> twisted. So. But, uh, hey, man, uh, 
thanks for taking time to come on the podcast and chat with us today. No problem. I enjoyed it so much. And there you have it. Another podcast signed, sealed, delivered. Thank you guys very much for tuning in and downloading this podcast. Really appreciate it. Huge shout out to Ethan for taking time out of his studies and uh, coming on the show to talk about how he hunts out there in West Virginia. Huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, Ripcord Arrowrest, Deer Lab, Exodus Trail Cameras, Wasp Archery Now. And remember, with companies like Exodus and Wasp, if you enter a discount code of the number nine followed by the word fingers, no spaces, nine fingers, you can receive discounts on your products. Uh, uh, $20 off trail cameras with Exodus and 20% off of your purchase with Wasp. Uh, really good discount for you, the listener. Other than that, guys, be sure to go to iTunes, leave a review of the podcast, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all Nine Fingers related, right? Uh, Nine Finger Chronicles for Instagram, Nine Finger Chronicles for um, Facebook. And to be honest, I'm really not 100% sure what my Twitter profile is because I don't use it a lot. So type in Nine Fingers or Fort Worth Nine Fingers or something. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter at this point. But Wednesday, the week is half over. Hopefully you guys have big plans for this upcoming weekend and if you are in a tree wear your damn safety harness have a good day